0: Hello, 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 friends, and welcome to the She Finds Joy podcast, where we reclaim the super shiny lights that burn in each of us. I'm Kim Strobel, your truth-telling, real-talk happiness coach who believes in the power of showing up as our flossom selves, even and especially, my friends, when it comes to working through our hard stuff. After all, when we're playing in our arenas of bigness, life gets better as we get bolder. So buckle up for the no BS, zero fluff advice that gives you the small steps for big joy. One of the best things about She Finds Joy is our community. So be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other women who are creating more joy in their lives, just like you. You can find us at kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy all right let's dive in to today's episode here we go hello everyone i'm excited about this topic again this week because i know that last week you heard the story of the birth of the happiness coach and i gave you some happiness research And then I left you hanging, right? Because you're like, hey, how can I increase my happiness levels by 40%? What all goes into this? What are the happiness myths that we need to bust? So let me walk you through some of this. Now, it's funny when I think about being a happiness coach, and I always laugh when I get sent into a corporation or leadership conference and they introduce me as a happiness coach. And I always say, like, 15 years ago, if you would have introduced me as a happiness coach, I probably would have been laughed out of the room, right? Like a happiness coach, what is that? And that's way too woo-woo-y. But the field of positive psychology, the yearning for more well-being, greater levels of happiness in our life, it's actually rampant right now. And I'm going to tell you why. Right? We have been in what people have called the knowledge age, right? And the knowledge age really has made us rich. Okay. I know some of us do not feel like we are wealthy, but I want you to think about how many t shirts you have in your closet because you probably have 25 t shirts. And, you know, my grandma grew up with like three total shirts in her closet and two pairs of shoes, a pair of Sunday shoes, and maybe a pair of tennis shoes. Most of us today, Own more cars in our driveway than we actually have licensed drivers. We really do live in this age of abundance. I mean, let me just keep giving you some of these crazy statistics because I know that we don't feel like we are abundant, but we are. You know, I mean, 13% of homes purchased today are second homes. Self storage, which is, of course, you all know, a business devoted to providing people a place to house their extra stuff is a $17 billion annual industry. In fact, I've been hearing people talk forever now for like the last two years that if you want to make money, get into the self-storage business because Americans have way more stuff than they can even hold um, in their home. The US spends more on trash bags than 90 other countries spend on everything. So again, America is a very abundant country. And I like this piece of research too. We have beautiful trash cans and 15 different types of toilet brushes designed by Princeton University architecture professors. And so, yeah, like, right? I was at Target recently and I needed to buy a toilet bowl brush and I was so stressed out because there were like 15 to pick from. And I couldn't make a decision because, you know, did I want like the one that was shaped like a potted plant that was very beautiful? Or did I want this one here that was more simple? And so the bottom line is, yeah, we live in an age of abundance, right? But here's the deal. We're actually less happier today than we were 50 or 60 years ago, you know, before we had indoor plumbing and hot water and, you know, more than one bathroom and stoves and microwaves and all the technology. We were actually happier before we had all that stuff that was supposed to make our life better. And so scientists are actually saying that because we've lived in this age of abundance, this knowledge age of abundance, that more stuff has not made us happier. And we even see that with like, right, the Marie Kondo, she's the one that has the life-changing magic of tidying up and how to get rid of all this stuff and how to go back to simplest, simpler things and minimal things and how when we get rid of the clutter in our life, it actually frees our mental space in wonderful ways. And so this is why. I can now call myself a happiness coach. This is why you all are on the She Finds Joy podcast because we're entering what's called the conceptual age. We're leaving the knowledge age. And the conceptual age is all about finding meaning, getting in touch with our purpose and how we want to show up in the world. How do we chase and find our passions? And it's about spirituality and it's about finding more happiness in our lives because so many of us feel like we're living every single day the same day over and over again and we're simply surviving and we're not thriving we're not waking up super excited to live our day and so this is why the life coaching field the field that i'm in now is one of the fastest growing fields because people are like hey i'm stressed out I don't wake up excited to live my life. I don't have a lot of joy. I don't really feel happy. I feel lost. I, I don't know who I am anymore. And so let me just tell you, friend, I'm here to help you out. I'm here to talk to you about some of the myths, some of the lies we've been led to believe that will actually bring us happiness. And then what can we do? What can we do to live a more joy-filled life? And so here's what I know. It's not frivolous. It's not frivolous to want more happiness anymore. In fact, we know, just like Aristotle told us way back when, that happiness is the meaning. It is the purpose of life. It's the whole aim and end of human existence, right? But how can something as fluffy as happiness be deep enough to be meaningful and purposeful in our life? Well, let me tell it to you like this. If you think that happiness is owning a super jazzy $50,000 car or having, you know, $50,000 in your bank account, then let's just be honest. Happiness, you know, it, it can't be found on Craigslist. It can't be found in buying that super expensive car. Now, let me just tell you, folks, I'm not opposed to the super fancy car. I'm not opposed to making a million dollars. I'm not opposed to living in the nice, big, fancy house. In fact, I love beautiful things all around me. So my purpose is not to say, oh, you shouldn't want the bigger house or you shouldn't want to make more money. We are gonna talk about all of that stuff later. But it's when you depend on those material goods to bring you long lasting happiness, all right? And so- Here's the deal, happiness matters. We should all be trying to achieve, create, find the happiness that is already a part of who we are in our super shiny soul and how it wants to show up in the world. And here's what we know. We know that happier people simply become better people. Happier people spend more time learning and growing. They have much more interaction in their lives. They're dedicated to nurturing their well being, to finding their spiritual selves. They tend to be more loving, more compassionate, more courageous, more grateful. You know, being happy makes us feel better. It makes us have way more energy. Um, we're way more creative. When we have our brain at positive versus negative, neutral, or stressed, we start to see opportunities that we never saw before. We start to see solutions to problems that our negative brain wouldn't even let us see. We start to experience higher productivity levels, um, being happier makes us a way better parent, right? I mean, you think about an unhappy parent, you think about, you know, you may have even had one, chances are your unhappy parent was relatively isolated or depressed or angry or inattentive or didn't know that they were allowed to take care of their own needs. And happy parents to the contrary, right, they make the home life a very different experience for kids. And I always say this, you know, Kids don't want a perfect parent. You're not going to be perfect. You're going to make mistakes. You're going to lay your head down on the pillow many times and be like, ah, I screwed that up today. But I really don't think that being a happy parent, I'm sorry, being a perfect parent is the goal. I think kids every single day will take an imperfect but happy parent over the perfect parent who is really unhappy. So I just had to go there with you for a minute. But what I want you to know is that we know that focusing on your well-being, focusing on your happiness, focusing on your fulfillment in life leads to greater satisfaction levels. You know, there's strong research out there that says happier people are less anxious, less depressed, less stressed. They're more optimistic about life. They're more confident. They have a greater sense of well-being. They have passion and a zest for life. And this is what I want for each and every one of us. I want us to have a zest for life. I'm not saying that we resist the negative things that come in our life, because I also do think there's this like cultural of positivity going on right now, which is like, Oh, you're not allowed to complain. You're not allowed to be negative. You know, just be positive. Just be positive. Let me just tell you right now, if one more person says that, I think I'm going to just choke because we do have this cultural positivity thing going on, which says you're not allowed to feel your negative feeling. And in fact, I think that's wrong. I think that if we aren't allowed to have our negative feelings, that they fester inside of us. That if we don't express them, if we don't get in touch with them, if we don't process them, they fester. They turn into disease or resentment or anger or depression. And so it's not about Saying, hey, we're not allowed to be negative. And by the way, like my super loving, sweet mom, I had to explain this to her the other day because I was having a meltdown and I was complaining about something. And she said, Well, Kim, you're the happiness coach, right? So, you know, aren't you just supposed to be happy? And I'm like, Mother. Being the happiness coach doesn't mean that I have to act like I'm a unicorn all of the time. Like I'm allowed to have my negative feelings. I'm allowed to feel stressed about something. I'm allowed to complain. This is not about just turning it off and saying, shift yourself to positive. Okay. But what it is about is it's about understanding that we can have the negative feeling, but how do we also? Get out of it quicker? How do we re establish our perspective on life? And so there's this kind of fairly new idea called positive psychology that we're hearing a lot about. And positive psychology is really this idea, I think, of studying happiness. And Martin Seligman, he is kind of the father of positive psychology. He's at the University of Pennsylvania and he's written a, an entire book about it. But Really, he says positive psychology is the psychology of what makes life worth living. It's kind of going back to even what Aristotle said, right? That it comes from empowering people to develop a positive state of mind so that you do have more positivity than negativity in your life so that you can live a super rewarding life. And we know that there are certain happiness boosting strategies that are super effective and can help you learn. To increase your own happiness levels. Let me just tell you, it takes work. I tell people all of the time I have happiness habits that are a part of my everyday life. It takes work, it takes rituals, it takes systems, it takes discipline, it takes dedication. Like, I don't just wake up like this every morning. I actually have habits in my life that I'm consistently working on to increase my baseline happiness level. And so going back to this idea of positive psychology, what that really is, is the scientific study of the strengths that enable individuals to thrive. And it's founded on this belief that people really yearn to lead meaningful and fulfilling lives, to really cultivate what is best within themselves, to step into the very best version of who they are and to live in their potential. And so that's what we're here to talk about. But I actually want to go back and I want to dispel some myths since we talked a little bit in the last episode about that. So if I were to ask you what kinds of things would make you happier I want you to think of this statement. If only I had blank, I'd be happier. Like if only I could lose 15 pounds, I think I'd be happier. If only I could find the love of my life and get married, I'd be happier. If only I could get that job promotion, I'd be happier. If only I made this amount of money, I'd be happier. Or here's a personal favorite of mine that even though I know the brain research says this is not true, one of my if onlys is if only I had the lake house, I'd be happier, right? Here's another one. If only I looked younger, I'd be happier. If only I was not suffering from this chronic illness or disability, I'd be happier. We have all of these kind of if only statements. But what I want to talk to you about, because I have to bust the myths around happiness because we're all chasing the wrong things at times, okay? And so Sonia Lubermiski is like a super researcher. She wrote The How of Happiness, which is amazing. Spot on, one of my all-time favorite books. And in The How of Happiness, what she did is really dispel some of these myths, some of these things that we're chasing that we think contribute to greater happiness levels and fulfillment levels in our life. So let's talk about a few of those things because I've got to get us right in our head and I've got to get us thinking about maybe we have focused too much on certain things and that's why we still maybe feel disappointed that we're not living this like super joyful Happy, meaning filled life. So let's just start with money. And let me just tell you, I coach women on money. I want everyone to become a million dollar badass. I want every woman to, you know, be able to receive all forms of abundance in her life. So don't get me wrong here, but it's really about understanding how do we use that stuff in our lives and which pieces of money contribute to long-term happiness, right? Because like if I make a lot of money and I use it to create a nonprofit organization that helps children in Haiti be able to get their education, obviously using money for that is going to bring me more meaning in my life and is going to increase my happiness levels. So I'm gonna give you the research because I want us to know also that here's what the research says, but it's also different depending on how we kind of Think about how money is being used in our life. And let me just tell you, I'll be the first person to say, I want to make a lot of money. But here's the research behind it. So, what Misky did is she recorded data about what people really think is the salary they need depending on the salary they currently have. So, for example, if you're earning $30,000 and I ask you, hey, how much money do you need to make to be happy? Most people in the study said they needed 50000 If they just made 50000 they would be a lot happier. Then they asked people who were earning $100,000 a year what they needed to be happy. And they too felt like they weren't making enough. And they would say, well, they need around $250,000 to feel comfortable. Now, here's what's interesting about this. What we think we need... As far as money to be happy jumps up every time we get more, right? So if you make fifty thousand, then all of a sudden you think you need to make a hundred thousand if you make a hundred thousand, then all of a sudden you think well i 'll finally get there when I get to two hundred and fifty thousand. And what we know is that this concept this happens with everything in our life, okay. For example, if you get a super great job, you feel you have a boost of happiness for a little while, and then you go back to your default. So then you need to climb the ladder even more and get an even better job. And then you feel better about yourself for a little while. And then you go back to your default. Same thing with like cosmetics, right? People, And I have no problem with this because everybody's allowed to do whatever they want, but you know if people are getting their wrinkles taken care of or they're getting their botox shots they have this little boost in happiness and then what happens they need more right because they start to notice well now they need to get this wrinkle taken care of now they need to get their eyebrows taken care of now they need to get their cheeks taken care of now they need to get their eyelids taken care of it's the same thing with weight loss right like you tell yourself i have this goal and i'm going to lose 15 pounds and then you lose 15 pounds and then you're like Oh, now I want to lose another five. This is just what we do as humans. And it's called hedonic adaptation. And it works with everything. Weight loss, homes, cars, jobs, money. It works with all of it. So let me tell you what hedonic adaptation is. So we actually have the ability to have hedonic adaptation as a part of who we are as human beings, because it comes back from like our reptilian brains back in the day when like we were being chased by tigers, there was a scarcity of food. Um, We didn't have proper shelter. We didn't have proper water. We didn't have proper food. And so what happened was the human brain and the human body had to endure like so many challenges that the body needed to be able to learn to adapt very quickly. All right. And so this is a part of who we are today. So for example, if you're outside and it's a super cold day and you come in and you sit next to your fireplace and you know how good that fireplace feels, like it feels so warm and it feels so toasty and you feel so good. And then after about five minutes, you're like, okay, it doesn't feel so good anymore. And then you're done, right? You go and you find something else to do. Well, that's hedonic adaptation totally at work, right? Because humans are remarkably adept at becoming rapidly accustomed to sensory and psychological changes. This is how we're wired. You know, when you start making $40,000, now you need $60,000 when you smell an odor Um, you actually get used to the odor and then you don't smell it anymore. That's hedonic adaptation. You know how somebody can walk in your house. I actually did this with my neighbor, Carrie recently. I was, I came over to Carrie's house and there was like this terrible putrid smell. And I was like, Carrie, do you smell that? And she's like, no. And I'm like, you better check with Brett, your husband. And she checks with Brett and he doesn't smell it. And I'm going over there, you know, once a week for the next few weeks. And I'm like, she's like, do you still smell it? I'm like, yes, you know, well, come to find out, it was some kind of issue with the sewage system that was causing this rancid smell in their house. But what was interesting is that Carrie and Brett couldn't smell it, because hedonic adaptation had made them get used to it. This is the same reason when people come over to your house, and maybe they smell something, and you don't smell it, it's because you're used to it, you adapt to it. And so when we're thinking about this, okay, and we're thinking about Hedonic adaptation. This is the same thing of why we have to bust some of these happiness myths because it's happening to us when it comes to earning money. It's happening to us. One of the other myths is like, hey, when you find the right partner or the right marriage, you know, life will be good and you will be so happy. And here's what the science says not to kind of bust your bubble here, but science says that the average person picks up like a sizable boost in happiness when he or she gets married, but it only lasts two years. And after that, the former newlywed reverts back to their default happiness level before the engagement, before the wedding, before the marriage, or it gets even worse if you end up in an unhappy marriage. And so here's the deal, right? We all know people who even after two years are experiencing great happiness in their marriage and and so there are ways to boost your bliss you know according to Sonia Luber what she says is that the closest most intimate most trusting relationships appear to be distinguished not really by how long they've been married But actually, like, are you doing things to bring newness to your marriage? Are you creating hobbies together? Are you creating deeper levels of intimacy? If that's the case, then yeah, your happy marriage is going to play a big part in your overall happiness levels. But for most people, unfortunately, who don't continue to work on their marriage, they see that sizable boost for about two years and then it drops. And so like, this is another reason why your happiness levels come from your external circumstances. Those are only responsible for about ten percent of your long term happiness, um, same thing with the perfect job, right Science says that we all adapt to new experiences, and so you get into this like new work environment you 're super excited about this new job and it 's refreshing to you, and maybe you 're making uh, more money and you 've gained some responsibility and the next thing you know, your expectations and your your aspirations increase too, right, which detract you from happiness and so Like all of a sudden, then you need to increase that. You need to get, go after another promotion. You need to become even higher in management. You need to increase your salary even more. And so the perfect job is not always going to lead to increased uh, happiness levels. Now, so what we, you know, the bigger home, you know, losing weight. Okay. Let me just bust your bubble on this whole losing weight thing while I'm at it. feel like a joy buster today but I've got to give you guys this information because once we know these are myths we can quit putting all of our eggs in these baskets and so I even was reading from I think it was the Lou Romisky study but the question was like can you gain happiness by losing weight okay and so they took they took like about two thousand individuals who were overweight and they followed them for four years after they completed a diet program. All right. And so then after that, what they did was they put them into three different groups. So after four years, who were the ones who had lost weight, who were the ones who had gained weight and who are the ones who kept their weight the same? All right. And then were they actually happier after going through this? (laughs) Well, all the research actually says this, as soon as you go on a diet, you lose your damn happiness, people, right? Like as soon as you tell your brain you can't have carbs or you can't have the chocolate cake or you can't have sugar or whatever, your brain actually increases the need and desire for that even more. And so... This is why, like, people who lose weight, right? They think, oh, I just need to lose five more pounds. Okay, they lose five more pounds. Oh, if I could just lose 10 more pounds. So, here's what the research says. Again, this was like 2,000 obese people. All right. And we predict that losing weight will actually make us happier. But in fact, that's like an illusion, that's a myth, right? what they found was four years later, (laughs) the people who had lost weight were actually more depressed than they were before. Because if you think about it, they've spent four years on a diet, right? Like that's going to make you depressed. They found that the people who were able to maintain their weight while on a diet, They did, too, become – had a higher percentage of a depressed mood, but it was not as high as the people who had the weight loss. And then, of course, there are some people who gained even more weight, and their percentage of depressed mood increased as well. And so – you know, again, I'm just trying to dispel some of these myths because what I want, to, want us to focus on are the things that really count. Now, hey, do I want everybody to have a healthy body? Heck yeah. Do I want us to feel vibrant and energetic in our bodies? 100%. Do I think that, you know, having a fit body is important? You bet I do, right? Like, you had to work at it and it's easier for some of us than others. But we think, oh, we're going to go on this big diet and it's going to make our life so much better. And it doesn't work. research doesn't support it it's the same thing with cosmetics right you get botox the next thing you know you need it again and the next thing you know you need a little bit more and the next thing you know you need to get this taken care of physically you need to get that taken care of physically it all comes back to hedonic adaptation and the fact that we get accustomed to the new level and then we go right back to our default okay and I do want to real quickly just give you some of the neat research on beauty so the American Society for anesthetic plastic surgery actually has this major report out that says that more of us now than ever are remaking our appearances every year all right so get this you guys in 2004 they saw an increase of forty four percent in the number of cosmetic procedures Performed over 2003. And that included 2.8 million Botox injections, 1.1 million chemical pills, breast augmentation, eyelid surgeries, nose reshaping, liposuction. And again, I am not here to say that, I mean, I'm getting my eyebrows tattooed in, um, a few weeks, right? Cause like I want my eyebrows to be, what do they call that? Microblading. So this is not to put anybody down or to say, don't get the... Botox. I don't know. I think I might get my wrinkles taken care of at some point. Who knows? But what I want you to know is the research behind it. And so what happened was in this study is that most people reported being satisfied with their post-surgery physical appearance, but only for a short period of time. It didn't endure, right? And so again, being beautiful does not have a direct correlation to our happiness levels, being more beautiful is not going to make you happier in the long term. All right. You're going to get a little boost and then hedonic adaptation is going to kick in and you're going to get used to that. And then you're going to need more. All right. So let's talk about how do we stop hedonic adaptation? How do we kind of get our focus off of all of that and onto things that really do know that have a measurable boost in our happiness levels? So one of the things I want us to think of instead of stuff making us happy, which I'll be the first to tell you an Amazon boxes here like almost every day. Kim Strobel loves clothes. Kim Strobel probably has 72 pairs of shoes. So I too know the research and the myths. And I'm making changes in my life, but you know, this is my work too. This is one of the things that my husband and I are working on. And so what we actually know is that if we can take some of what we're spending on stuff and instead we can use it to have experiences in our life, to create memories, that that does have a remarkable effect and boost on our happiness levels so for example you know when you can invest in that great vacation that will give you those memories and every time you talk about that vacation and relive those moments you will have a boost in happiness if you can go to an art gallery or to a concert or like my husband and I are having great experiences in Bloomington Indiana right now we're you know taking Fridays and we're going for the weekend and our son is there and we're tailgating with him, but we're also going to eat at the ethnic restaurants and we're taking walks around the woods, the Hoosier National Forest. Um, We are using our money to have more experiences in our life. And so we know that experiences can really help boost our happiness levels. We also know, right, that whenever we kind of concentrate on boosting our happiness levels, that we can start to see that there's a direct correlation between happiness and success. And so this is like why we've had the happiness formula backwards for years, my friends. For years, we've been told like, work hard, go to school, get the degree. Hopefully, you choose a job that makes you a lot of money. Hopefully, you can climb the corporate ladder. Hopefully, you can make more money. And then like that will help you be able to buy the nice house and have the nice cars and you know, have the nice life. And at the end of that equation, you will be happy. But what we actually know and what Sean Aker, who wrote The Happiness Advantage, has talked about, he actually has said that the formula is completely backwards, that they've done the research for the last 10 or 15 years and that we actually know that it starts with happiness, that if you want more success in your life, that you need to get your brain at happier more of the time. And that when you get your brain at happier, more of the time you start to experience way more success in your life okay we also know that 75% of job successes are predicted by your optimistic levels okay we know that that brains at positive versus negative neutral or stressed that they are 31% more productive that when we can get your brain at positive versus negative neutral or stressed you're going to be more optimistic you're going to be more productive this is why we get sent in to teach this in schools and in corporations because we know when we can get people's brains at positive more of the time that there's a direct correlation to how they perform on the job and so what we have to really do is we have to really look at this whole formula which is work hard work hard work hard work hard get your education work even harder climb the ladder make more money become more successful and then finally you've arrived at happiness and what we actually know is that a decade of research my friends has showed us that training your brain to be positive first is actually what is going to fuel your success all right and so Our ability to succeed in life actually stems from how our brain sees and views the world in the first place. And that once we learn to see the world through a more positive lens, that we can then kind of summon and bring together, like Sean Aker says, bring together our intellectual and emotional resources to achieve our personal and professional goals. All right. And so, so much of what we can or cannot achieve really does depend on the reality or the belief that you're currently living in. And Carol Dweck says this, Carol Dweck says, the view you adopt for yourself, Carol Dweck, by the way, is the growth mindset lady. She says, the view you adopt for yourself profoundly affects the way you lead your life. It's the same thing that Sean Aker is saying, right? Is that so much of what we can and cannot achieve depends on our view of life, our reality, our belief. And that some live in this reality that happiness and success are completely possible despite the obstacles, despite the circumstances, despite the traumas, the diseases, the sicknesses, the divorces, the, despite all of that, they hold in their belief and in their reality that happiness and success are possible. And then there's others of us who are stuck in hopelessness, who are stuck on that internal cycle of negativity, and because of that, we can't see all the possibilities that are around us, all right? And so when we get our mind to positive, it catapults us and causes a ripple effect in every single area of our life. We have more drive, more ambition, more Energy, we have more emotional resources to take action and make things happen. But what we have to do is we have to get our brain to believe that change is possible. And he calls it positive genius. And he says that when we can get our brain at happy, when we can get our brain at positive, when we can get our well being in check, that that is actually the greatest predictor of success and performance and happiness. It's not just if we can find that great job or win that next promotion or lose those 10 pounds or get that partner or fill in the blank that happiness will follow, it's actually about getting right within ourselves first. And when we get positive and when we get right in ourselves and when we develop great self-love and fulfilling and meaning and positivity in our life, then everything else starts to come to us. We just know this. We know from the research that humans are wired to actually like turn on when they get happier, that our brains begin to exert chemicals, that our relationships improve, that we begin to make more money, that our bodies get healthier, our marriages become more fulfilling, and we have a greater sense of well-being. But in order for that to happen, we have to get our brains turned on to positive, And we have to know what are the right power buttons to turn on. In order to make this really start to happen in our lives, which is a lot about what this entire show and podcast is about, right? Is that we have the right to reclaim our happiness and our joy. We have the right to focus on our well being and our happiness. We are deserving of it, each and every one of us. And that is what I really want for all of us. I want us to. Focus on how do we not think of becoming happier by focusing on a situation or a circumstance or a thing? And instead, how do we really begin to create our happiness? Not depend on it from someone else, not depend on it from our paycheck, not depend on it from the kind of house we live in. But how do we really bring ourselves and our well-being to the forefront, and how do we really begin to learn how to rewire our brain in a way that opens us up to endless possibility? So, again, here I am leaving you with a cliffhanger. I've given you some research. I've dispelled some myths. And I've given you a couple of strategies, but we're going to go way deeper in this podcast. We are going to continue to talk about how do we find our happy in the now. But for now, folks, I want you to really think about what have you been counting on to make you happier, and has that worked for you? And are you playing this if win game? When this happens, I will become happier. If this happens, I will become happier because that if-win game is also what stills and robs us of having our joy right now, right in the here and now. And so what I want us to do is get out of that if, when reality, right? I will be happy when I lose weight. I will be happy when I make more money. I will be happy if I find the right partner because what happens, folks, is if we are constantly postponing our happiness instead of looking around and knowing that perhaps our life isn't perfect and perhaps we want to work on things in our life, that we still have the ability to find our happy in the now. We can find our happy right now while also striving towards our other goals, while also trying to increase our potential. And sometimes when we take a moment to look around and really appreciate what we do have that's good in our life, we can actually rewire the brain to start to see more of those things pop out. But when we become too obsessed and stressed out and overly focused on losing the weight or finding the right partner or seeing the flaws in our marriages or in ourselves or wishing that our kids were perfect, that we let those thoughts begin to dominate us and that causes stress and fear and anxiety and it prevents us from being able to find happy right now and so i want you to look at your life i want you to think about what are the small wins what are the good pieces in your life right now it's okay to have big goals it's okay to want more right but what i don't want you to do is i don't want you to tie your happiness in the here and now to those goals. I want you to be happy in the now because when you become happy in the now, the needle starts to move, right? Once I got myself happy, my marriage got stronger. I became less of a controlling mother. Um, I had the courage to take the action to start my own businesses. I started to make more money than ever before. And more importantly, you know, I'm having way more fun in my life than I've ever had. And so again, Let's see how to find our happy in the now, regardless of our situations, and let's start to really talk about and figure out the things that do contribute to increasing our happiness levels, because that's what I want for each and every one of us. I want us to show up as the most vibrant, best version of who we are. Thank you so much, folks. I am so happy to be able to talk to you about these things and to really help you Get some new knowledge in our brains because once we have new knowledge, then we can start to make those changes in our lives. So best of luck and uh, I'm excited for you. Whoop, whoop. We did it. Thank you so much for joining me on the She Finds Joy podcast today. I'm super honored to share this space with you and I hope you learned something new and helpful. As always, this conversation will be continued in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to Kimstrobel.com forward slash she finds joy to connect with other joy seekers just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time joining the show, know that I am here every Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can go to that directly if you go to Kimstrobel.com forward slash podcast that will put you in apple podcast where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review if you scroll down just a little bit you will be able to leave that five-star review and just leave me a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show it really helps me if you let me know how the show has impacted you and how you are striving for more joy in your life you might be nominated to be the joyful woman of the week also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more women unleash their happiness one daring day at a time. So please take a screenshot on your phone, share it out on social media, tag your friends, tag me at Kim Strobel Joy on Instagram or in our Facebook group, kimstrublecom forward slash she finds joy. I'm quick to reply and I am super eager to send you some Facebook love. It makes my heart happy to be able to connect and surround myself with other women who are all ready to do this work. So thanks for being here and I'll be back next week. Until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you know that you are enough just as you are. Here's to finding more joy.